Medal of Honor recipient Sergeant First Class Jared Monty. June 20th, 2006, a young U.S. Army private, Brian Bradbury, lay wounded on the side of a mountain, bleeding out in a small ditch between 50 Taliban foreign fighters and his 16-man patrol. Brian was separated from the unit by a bullet-raised death zone of open terrain only a few yards away. Bradbury was part of the 371 Cav Squadron of the 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 10th Mountain Division. He was a member of an elite forward team of observers led by Staff Sergeant Jared Monty. Their mission was to climb the mountains near Gowardesh. They would call in artillery fire during an upcoming brigade offensive. The operation had been delayed and the patrol had been out of water and food for almost two days. It took three sorties, it took three helicopter trips to finally deliver the water and the food that they desperately needed. But we think that's how the Taliban fighters found out where they were. Bradbury's mumbles were growing fainter as the 50 Taliban fighters occupying an elevated ridge above the Americans were moving in around to get a clean shot at them. Jared's call sign was Chaos 3-5. Chaos 6, this is Chaos 3-5. Jared radioed in their tactical situation and coordinates, requesting air support and medevac. Even though the Taliban fire was blazing down with bullets buzzing all around him, Staff Sergeant Jared Money dashed out of his covered position to get Brian and bring him back to the team before the Taliban could get the angle to finish him off. They were outnumbered 5-1, to one, but Bradbury was Money's guy and he wasn't going to let it happen. Jared tried three times to get to Private Bradbury as the Taliban were closing in. On his third attempt, Jared was riddled with enemy fire and blown back to the rest of the patrol. Moments after Jared killed as the enemy was closing in on Brian's supersonic angels of mercy screamed over their heads. A flight of F-16 fighting falcons traveled 100 miles in 7 minutes to answer Jared's call and the wrath of God came with them. Exhausted and reeling from a desperate gunfight that killed Staff Sergeant Jared Money and Sergeant Patrick Leibert who got shot in the face, the 10th Mountain Division soldiers pulled Bradbury to safety. When the dust had settled in the evening twilight nerves still on high alert, a medevac helicopter came in for Bradbury. It lowered a stretcher. A flight medic rode down and grabbed a hold of Bradbury and the two rose high into the air. Brian was going to make it. And the cable snapped and the two plummeted to their deaths. The medevac helicopter had to leave the patrol on the mountain and return to base. The men who made it off the mountain on June 21st, 2006 will carry the haunting memories of the four who didn't forever. All come back changed by the violence. It isn't a memory for them. It's part of their identity now. But Memorial Day is not for the living. The men who made it through the battle and off the mountain are the lucky ones. Memorial Day is reserved only for Jared, Brian, John, and Heath. The men who fought for us and each other with their last full measure of devotion. We flew out on a military C-130 aircraft. The plane executed a high-altitude nosedive into a sharp landing in the middle of the night. We knew that we'd arrived at Bagram Airfield in the heart of Afghanistan. We weren't lucky enough to be based in Bagram, though. The 3rd Brigade Combat Team flew another hour and a half in multiple sorties of Chinook helicopters in the middle of the night to forward operating base Salerno near the Pakistan border right into the enemy's backyard. 371 Cav with uh, Sergeant Money and his team flew another two hours north to the Nuristan province in Cavendish, right into the enemy's bedroom. Now, when the patrol made contact with the enemy, Tick was called in the Tactical Operations Center. The staff assembled. The brigade commander listened to the radio traffic, and as the brigade staff was coordinating the QRF, which is a quick reaction force in medevac, we were all watching the live Predator drone feed of the battle position in real time, and we could see the enemy just crawling all over the ridge. 
and our 371 Cav Ford observers taking cover below him, and we knew they had three wounded at the time. I did not know that Jared was one of them. And in the talk, the ALO, the Air Force Liaison Officer, sat at a small table sort of facing away from the activity. And he was double fisting radio handsets, one to each of his ears, and one of his radios was in contact with the Air Force QRF pilots. The other was with the Joint Task Force Headquarters, the headquarters that was rearward of ours, comfortably stationed back at Bagram Airfield, where we came in on the plane. Colonel Nicholson looked over at the ALO and said, how long until they get their bop? And the ALO muttered something in one of his phones, and he turned around and said, he said, three F-16s are scrambled out of Bagram, they're supersonic, and they'll be on station in six minutes. So we all silently looked back at the video feeds, praying to God that those F-16s would get there in time. That was the longest six minutes of our lives. You could have heard a pin drop in the talk the whole time. And Colonel Nicholson broke the silence with his calm voice, and he said, weapons free, meaning that the Air Force pilots had the commander's authorization to attack Bob to make sure they don't hit our boys. Yes, sir. The ALO put the phone receiver back to his ear. You're cleared hot, danger close, is what he said, and then he relayed the words to the pilots to everyone in the top. Enemy targets acquired, targets engaged. And the ALO lowered his handsets and turned his head to look at the screen, so did everybody else. A few seconds later, the screen suddenly, silently flashed white in and out of focus as the blasts temporarily blinded out the Predator drone's thermal optics. But you thought bombs hit the talk when the roar of the brigade staff broke the silence. The force of those 2,000-pound bombs blew apart giant rock formations like paper mache. It eradicated thick trees like twigs. You could clearly see the high-definition enemy heat signatures cowering behind huge rock formations and thick trees on their knees, bobbing up and down and saying prayers that wouldn't be answered as the giant flashes wiped them from the face of the earth. The Brigade Legal Advisor is the legal review of every brigade investigation for sufficiency, completeness, and accuracy, especially the mandatory death investigations initiated any time anybody died or was killed. Those investigations need to be comprehensive and perfect every single time, no exceptions. And it supervised maybe as many as 54 of these death investigations in 16 months, but the ones that you can't forget, no matter how hard you try, are the ones that are your friends. Those are tough. They stay with you. Now, in their words, these are some of the words of the soldiers who were there that lived. And Specialist Sean Smith said, I accepted the fact that I was going to die that day on the mountain. I, I know now that it's made me a better soldier because one of these days I'll be a leader and I'll be able to speak from experience and tell my soldiers the bad guys are bad. They will try to kill you and you don't realize how terrifying it is. And before the patrol was attacked, after the team was successfully resupplied, they divvied up the items and settled in for the night after the sun passed over the ridge, leaving them in the darkening shadows. And all feared their location had compromised and men are divided into two positions along the ridge line most of them in a line of trees and bushes at the northern end of the ridge the others including staff sergeant Monty in charge of the forward observers and staff sergeant cunningham who's in charge of the snipers took cover behind some large rock and trees at the southern end suddenly just before dusk the place lit up with rocket propelled grenades and gunfire from the trees just above the ridge to the north private first class derek james was 22 years old he tried to take cover behind a small rock but it wasn't enough an rpg a rocket propelled grenade hit near him and blew a chunk left arm. Then a bullet struck him in the back. If he was going to survive, he was going to have to make a run for it to the southern position. I remember thinking, shit, I'm going to die. James said, we are all going to die. Bleeding, he got up and ran past the ridgeline and then crawled up to the main position where a medic began to bandage him up. With a bullet in his back and while his left arm was being bandaged by the medic, James braced himself against the rock and returned fire with his one good arm. The gunfire was so intense that Specialist Grzecki, one of the forward observers led by Jared Money, couldn't even reach his rifle a foot away. 
Like Grzecki said, a soldier beside him had his rifle shot right out of his hand. Staff Sergeant Lybert was using a rock, a big rock, for cover, but he kept popping up to see where the enemy was. James recalled then all of a sudden he just stopped. He'd been shot in the head and killed. We were taking so much fire we couldn't make out where the mortars were landing. It was coming in so close you could just hear it right over your head like whizzing through, James said. They were so close at one point you could hear their voices. Most of the guys who'd set up camp on the north side made it back to the main position, but as Bradbury, also 22, ran, an RPG exploded and he fell just over the ridge from his colleagues. They called out, trying to keep him talking, but separated from the group by what James had called the death zone, they could not reach him. You can tell Bradbury is slowly slipping away, Sergeant Rankin said. We were doing everything we could to keep him talking. Armani's call sign was KS-35. He was on the radio calling in artillery and airstrikes, but when Cunningham said he would go after Bradbury, Armani wasn't having it. That's my guy, I'm gonna go get him. Grzecki recalled him saying, that's when he threw me the radio and said, hey, you are KS-35 now. Twice Monty tried to make the run, but gunfire pushed him back the third time with men laying down cover fire. He went for it, almost making it to Bradbury before he fell in a hail of RPG and rounds. His scream was like nothing that the men had heard before. Several of them wondered briefly why he seemed to be joking around at a time like this. It took a few seconds for him to realize that he was hit. One of the last things he said was that he'd made peace, Grzecki said, and to tell his family that he loved him. Within minutes of Monty's death, the air support he'd called in had arrived and dropped several 500 and two 2,000 pound bombs, just a few hundred yards away from where the men were surrounded. Trees are falling over. You can hear the shrapnel whizzing over your head, Rankin recalled. Your teeth are rattling, about to fall right out of your head. It took time for the last fire to subside. Finally, the beating of a chopper blade had pulled close and the penetrator was lowered down to the ground before them. I remember hearing a flight medic they dropped down say, hey, don't worry, I'm gonna get you guys out of here, said specialist Sean Smith, who's 20 three years old. That was nice. It made me feel better. At this point, it began to sink in the whole situation. Staff Sergeant Heath Craig, 28, a medic with the 159th Air Ambulance Medical Company out of Wiesbaden, Germany, took James up first. When James was secure in the helicopter, Heath came back down with extra strips to take Bradbury. Bradbury was too hurt to hold on, so Craig had to ride up with him. And they ascended into the darkness. I heard a thump, like you dropped a ship anchor to the ground, Smith said. I heard someone call the medic again, and I asked what was going on. The steel cable had snapped and that killed Bradbury, Smith recounted. It also killed a flight medic that had just told us we'd be okay. They laid out the dead and took turns watching the mountain with their thermal vision goggles. Looking through the thermal vision, they said they could see the bodies of their friends dimming as they slowly went cold in the night. The morning after the firefight, the men scoured the area for enemy bodies and equipment. It looked like a nuke had hit, Smith said, and the trees were all cut in half, branches were all over. The helicopters came back and the men piled their dead in a basket which was raised to the helicopter, but there wasn't any room for the living. So now, beyond exhaustion, they had to climb back down the mountain on foot. Later, inside a closed military aircraft at Bagram Airfield, the 13 men sobbed over the four coffins. Rankin remembered Monty kidding around on the trek up the mountain, telling him how he wanted his funeral to be like the Vikings, a push off into the water with a flaming arrow that would burn in the sea. Armani was always trying to keep everyone happy, cracking jokes, giving people a hard time just to keep the mood up because we had no food and no water. Rankin said we were just hurting. Jared Armani was a legendary figure in the unit, a man who gave everything, keeping nothing for himself. His men loved him like his family did. He exuded love and caring for everyone around him, his father said. Armani was a son who rarely came home for the holidays because he gave away his Christmas leave to people with kids. He once infuriated his roommate because he gave their brand new dining room furniture to a young soldier when he found out this family couldn't afford furniture and were eating their meals on the floor. Money died on a mountain the same way he lived. Memorial Day exists to rekindle our memory of Sergeant First Class Jared Money and the rest of our American brothers and sisters who gave everything they had so that we could live free as citizens of the United States of America. <laughs>